Well, in New South Wales, the last week has certainly been a long time in politics. Uh, there's been the resignation of our Premier and Deputy Premier and the Minister for Transport and Roads. And in their place is a new Premier, a new Deputy Premier and a raft of other roles and reshuffles. And uh, not only that, the COVID recovery roadmap has been changed and rechanged and, <laughs> and changed again. And sadly, it'll be another fortnight before we can cross the Shell Harbour Iron Curtain and vice versa. Leadership matters because leaders matter. Uh, our leaders carry out a role that we know to be given to them by God. And we read this in Romans chapter 13. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. And so leadership matters. But how much more when your leadership is given to you directly by the Messiah himself? That's what we see in chapter 10 of Matthew's Gospel, as Jesus privately commands his 12 disciples. We come into the second of Jesus' little sermons, or, or discourses as they're known. The first went for three chapters. It was called the Sermon on the Mount. But this one we're now going to see, it just is one chapter long. And it's often known as the Mission Discourse. And so we're going to be looking now at the Mission Discourse. And that means that what we're looking at today is very important for understanding the mission of Jesus and his church. Now, I'm not sure what the New South Wales governor said to Premier Perrottet on Tuesday afternoon when he was sworn in, but you can know that our politicians don't get to make up the rules, at least not those core constitutional rules about what the Premier does and doesn't do. The same applies to Jesus and his 12 apostles. Jesus is the one who sets the rules, the, the, the framework for his mission of his apostles. And what he tells them is therefore very important to understanding our church and what we do and what it's like. See, Jesus sets the framework for his mission. That's why we need to listen carefully to what Jesus says in this Messiah masterclass, in his mission discourse in chapter 10. It matters greatly for the life of our church because as Jesus instructs his leaders, he also instructs us. But before we jump in and listen to these important words, we need to understand how to understand it first. You see, no matter what we read in the Bible, it's important we recognise who it's originally written to. And so who are the Ten Commandments originally written to? Well, they were written to God's people at Mount Sinai, not directly to you and me. What about all those laws about how to sacrifice at the tabernacle by the priests? Who were they written to? Well, they were written to God's people who were alive at the time of the tabernacle. They're in our Bible, but we need to understand firstly who they were written to.
time. And uh, so hopefully, I'm just looking at uh, uh, here, I'm doing a little bit of a comment here to see, to let you know that we have had a bit of a glitch. And let me see. Um, it's now, oh, look at this. I think we might be going. Hey, I think we're back. Okay. Hello, can you see me there? I think we're in business. <laughs> All right. We're smoking hot tonight. Even the uh, the machine is getting hot, which has slowed us down a bit. <laughs> All right, friends. Well, um, we were just at the point where we were talking about how Jesus sets the framework for his mission. And uh, so uh, uh, we'll go back to there. That's the spot. And we'll take it from here. Jesus sets the framework for his mission. And so that's why this is a very, very important section for us to look at. You see, it matters a lot for the life of our church because as Jesus instructs the leaders, he also instructs us. But before we jump in and listen to these important words, we've got to understand how it all works first. The question is, uh, who were the Ten Commandments originally written to? I'm not sure if you think about that, but they were originally written to God's people at Mount Sinai not directly to you or to me. And those laws that were written to talk about how to sacrifice animals at the tabernacle, well, they're not written directly to us because we don't have a tabernacle anymore. They were written to God's people back then. And so what we have to do then is we need to make sure that we have to understand firstly what something is written to people back then, and then we can understand what it means to us today. So what does that all mean about when we get to the New Testament. So does that mean that as we get to the New Testament with Jesus as Messiah, we can just read it directly from the New Testament to us? Well, no. You see, as we look at this chapter in a moment, we're going to see that Jesus called his 12 disciples together. And then we'll read that he said, Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions. Who's Jesus speaking to? He's speaking just to the 12 apostles, just to the 12 disciples, no one else. And when is he speaking to them? He's speaking to them only just before his crucifixion. It's a special time in history. So he's not speaking directly to you or to me. And he's not speaking directly to our present time either. What we've got to do is we've got to first listen to what Jesus had to say to his apostles back then. And then after that, we can work out what he's saying to us today. But as we do that, we will hear so much that matters to us right now as we seek to know and to serve our Lord Jesus. Anyway, just before we get into chapter 10, we're nearly there. Last week, when we were last together in a couple of weeks' time ago in chapter 9, it just ended with Jesus being with the crowds. And he said to them that they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he told them to ask the Lord to send more workers into his field. And then the prayers start to get answered. Have a look at this. Jesus called his 12 disciples together and he gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. Jesus gave his 12 disciples a special authority. It was a special authority that he gave them. It's kind of like when you get a uniform with uh, some stripes on your shoulder. Uh, you probably don't start off with four or three or two. You might only just end, start up with one or not even any 
at least initially. But you've got the uniform and you've got the authority. That's what they were given. They were given this authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. In other words, they were given the authority to do everything that Jesus did. Now, if you weren't careful, you'd think that Jesus' power to to cast out evil spirits and heal people was because he was God. But actually, it's because he's human. Because he's the ultimate human. He is the true son of Adam. The true son of Adam who truly ruled over the creation. And because he's the son of God, which is another name for Messiah, it meant that he could show what ultimate human authority over creation really looked like. See, Jesus showed true human authority over creation. That's why he could give them that authority to the 12 apostles who were his commissioned and sent delegates. They could basically do what Jesus could do, except, of course, Jesus was without sin. And for completion, Matthew lists all of their names here from verse 2. We read that here are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, also called Peter. Then Andrew, Peter's brother. James, son of Zebedee. John, James's brother. Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus. Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot. Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. And right at their moment, it's kind of like the needle runs across the top of the vinyl record. He betrayed him. It's the first time that Jesus' name is mentioned in the New Testament and it gives away so much information. If you'd never read Matthew's Gospel before, then you've just been given a massive spoiler because it shows us clearly that Jesus was going to be betrayed. Jesus was going to be betrayed. Things were going to appear to go wrong for the Son of God. And the grief and the sadness and the drama And the pain would come from one of his closest companions. One of the 12 men who's been delegated this very power would betray his leader, his teacher, his king, his lord. You know, friendly fire or close betrayal, there's almost nothing as painful as that. Friendly fire is very painful. When someone you trust turns against you. When your friend abuses your friendship. When they betray your trust. It's devastating. When you think of Jesus, don't forget this part of the human pain that he endured. And what's more, it's just another reason why we needed Jesus' life and his death so much. To bring about forgiveness of sins just like this. If you've been betrayed, or maybe if you've been the betrayer, you'll know the kind of hurt that it brings. Jesus knows that hurt. And he can bring healing, even through betrayal. Well, now that the role has been taken, Jesus gives them their orders. Verses 5 and 6. Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions. 
Don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, Samaritans, but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. See, these apostles had a special focus on Israel. The apostles had a special focus on Israel. These were the sheep without a shepherd that were spoken of in chapter 9. And as Jesus spoke about sheep and shepherding, you know, you can't but help think he had in mind what was written in Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 11 to 13, which I'll read out to you. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search and find my sheep. The Lord says that. I will be like a shepherd looking for his scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on that dark and cloudy day. I will bring them back home to their own land of Israel from among the peoples and nations. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel and by the rivers and in all the places where people live. See, the work of the Son of God needed to focus on the lost sheep of Israel. They were God's people and God sent his son to rescue them. And that's the mission that the 12 apostles had as well. And this is the first and most important thing that they were to do. Verse 7. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. What was number one? What was the highest priority? It's announcing. It's proclaiming. It's preaching. Preaching was the priority. They had to tell all the people of Israel that the kingdom of heaven is near. Now is the time to meet their Messiah. Now is the time to meet the king of heaven. And as they proclaimed this, they would also be able to do the other things that the long-awaited son of God, the Messiah, would be able to do. Verse 8. He said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. See, through their actions, they would provide evidence of their commissioning by the Messiah. They would show the power of the message by their actions. Now, some people today would say that we should use these amazing signs and wonders to give power to our preaching today. They'd say that I should run a signs and wonders ministry to draw attention to the gospel of Jesus. But that's not what this verse is telling us to do, is it? It's a message from Jesus to his 12 apostles, well before his crucifixion. It was a different time and place to us, where the apostles would have this special ministry. And it was only to the Jews at this time. And this list of amazing signs and wonders was actually following the normal expectations that people had for the Messiah of Israel. These very things. And right here, they were doing them. And they were doing them, the apostles were doing them, because they wanted to help, Jesus wanted them to help Israel receive her Messiah, Jesus. That is the job of the disciples at this place and time. And it was a ministry that was urgent. Verse 9 and 10. Don't take any money in your money belts. No gold, silver or even copper coins. 
Don't carry a traveller's bag with a change of clothes and sandals or even a walking stick. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve to be fed. When I go on a multi-day hike in the wilderness, my most important tool in preparation is a spreadsheet. I have a long, detailed, extremely detailed, extremely long list of all the little bits and pieces we need to bring, all the items of, of equipment and of clothing. I try and plan for every possible situation that we might encounter as we get you know, out on the trip. I am obviously a, a gear freak uh, through and through. Which means that if I was one of Jesus' 12 apostles, I'd need to change my tactic. Don't take money. Don't take spare clothes. Don't take any hiking equipment. And when people offer to have you over to their place, accept it without blushing. See, they were on a war footing. It was a time of urgency, almost crisis. It was a battle, not a holiday. Again, things were different because they were acting like assistant messiahs. There was an urgency with Jesus as he headed to his final betrayal at the cross when things would change forever. But for now, they needed to get the job done fast before his departure. And this is what those travel arrangements would be like. It says, whenever you enter a city or village, search for a worthy person and stay in his home until you leave town. When you enter the home, give it your blessing. If it turns out to be a worthy home, let your blessing stand. If it's not, take back the blessing. The apostles were acting as ambassadors of Jesus, representatives of the Messiah. And these, and the way these people received the apostles showed the way that they represented the Messiah. Which means that if they reject the Messiah's apostles, then this will happen, verses 14 and 15. If any household or town refuses to welcome you or listen to your message, shake its dust from your feet as you leave. I tell you the truth. It will be the, the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah will be better off than such a town on the judgment day. Rejecting the apostle is like rejecting the Messiah. Rejecting an apostle is like rejecting the Messiah. Which is why today, when we reject the teaching of the apostle of Christ, it's the same as rejecting Jesus himself. You can't say, you know, I'm more of a, a Jesus person than a Paul person. Or, I prefer the teaching of the Gospels to the teaching of the letters of the New Testament. You can't do that. It's a package deal. And so as the apostles share the message of Jesus, they'll get accepted and rejected. The same message will bring about repentance and faith in Jesus, as well as angry re rejection. It's just like how a waiter gets blamed for the work of a bad cook. In the same way, the apostles will get attacked when people dislike the message that they preach. And so this will happen, verse 16. Look, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. So be as shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. 
as they bring the message out, they will need to reflect the nature of their leader being shrewd but harmless. And you can be sure that it's going to be dangerous. Verse 17 and 18. But beware, for you will be handed over to the courts and will be flogged with whips in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell rulers and the other believers about me. When these apostles represent the Messiah, they will be attacked. The apostles will be attacked for representing the Messiah. Many Jewish leaders will reject the teaching of Jesus the Messiah. And that will mean that the people who broadcast Jesus' message will also be attacked. They'll have to stand trial before rulers, even secular rulers, who will want to try and shut down the controversy in order to keep the peace. But Jesus' 12 disciples were to stand firm as they stand trial. They were to use the opportunity of trials as a platform for proclaiming Jesus as Messiah. You know, as we've been reading through Acts in our daily morning prayer sessions on Zoom, we've been reading about how the Apostle Paul did just this. He used his arrest and captivity and eventual trial as a way for him to get the message of Jesus out to the world. See, sometimes it's through trials and hardship that the most amazing evangelism ends up happening. Trials and hardships can lead to amazing evangelism. When Jesus' apostles acted on his behalf, they needed to expect the same things to happen to them as would happen to Jesus. And history would show that this is exactly what happened as they did suffer for their faith. And of course it continues to this day. But what should they say? Verse 19 and 20. When you are arrested, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. For it is not to you who you will be speaking. It will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. It's an amazing comfort, isn't it? To think that the 12 apostles would be the mouthpiece of God himself. The spirit of the father would speak through them during the trial. But abuse and trials are not the only challenges that they'd face. Some of the greatest grief would come much closer to home. Verse 21. A brother will betray his brother to death. A father will betray his own child. And children will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. It's a horrible picture, isn't it? Families will be deeply divided. A child may recognise that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah of God, but his or her parents will not. And that will lead to horrible violence. A brother may follow Jesus as son of God, but his other brother will want to silence him and persecute him. And it also includes the reaction by the wider world. We read, and all nations will hate you because you are my followers. But everyone who endures to the end will be saved. Not only will the people in the family of God hate them, the nations beyond would hate them too. But there's a promise. Endure to the end and they will be saved. That's a promise that all 12 of them needed to hear, especially the 12th man, Judas, who certainly didn't endure to the end. 
But they needed to endure the persecution because time was short and the mission was critical. And so verse 23, when you are persecuted in one town, flee to the next. I tell you the truth, the Son of Man will return before you have reached all the towns of Israel. They've got to get out and get the message of Jesus to everyone. And the reason is that the Son of Man is coming soon. What does that mean? When is the Son of Man returning? When is the Son of Man coming, as it literally says? Well, it must be during the life of these 12 apostles, right? Otherwise, it wouldn't make any sense, would it? So Jesus is saying that the Son of Man would be coming sometime around 30 AD. Is that right? Well, if that's the case, what are the circumstances of the Son of Man? Well, I think we'll see that the Son of Man comes at the cross. What Jesus was talking about was his crucifixion. That's the event when the Son of Man comes. We'll have a lot more to say about that in the weeks to come. But for now, as we consider this timing, we're told that the apostles are told more about their status before their master and what it will mean for their persecution. Verse 24, students are not greater than their teacher and slaves are not greater than their master. Students are to be like their teacher and slaves are to be like their master. And since I, the master of the household, have been called the prince of demons, the members of my household will be called by even worse names. And of course they were. If Jesus cops it, then so will they. And we should expect the same for us today. If you wear a Jesus t-shirt, literally or metaphorically, you should expect persecution. And it'll probably get worse in the coming years if this week's response to the new Premier's faith is anything to go by. And so we should not be surprised. You see, we should expect to be attacked for following Christ. But here's the advice that Jesus gave to his disciples. Matthew 10, 26 to 27, we read, Don't be afraid of those who threaten you, for the time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed, and all that is secret will be made known to all. What I tell you now in the darkness, shout abroad with daylight comes. What I whisper in your ear, shout from the housetops for all to hear. Sometime soon, the private discussions about the identity of the Son of Man will be revealed to everyone. For when Jesus was dragged before the courts, it was all revealed. That's when that time would come. When the earth-shattering crucifixion of the Messiah, God's Son, would occur. And all, everything about the gospel of the kingdom, all of that, would be, uh, be uncovered for everybody to see. And so they should not be afraid. Verse 28. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Yet again, Jesus brings up hell. And he does so to give his apostles some eternal comfort. At the end of the day, their lives are only a few years young, a few years long, but eternity lasts forever. 
It's a great attitude to have, isn't it? You see, it's all about eternity. For the days are numbered. But even now as we await the final day when we will be with Jesus, hear just how much Jesus loved his disciples. Verse 29. What's the price of two sparrows? One copper coin. But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Do not be afraid. Fear not. It's a pretty common thing for Jesus to say. And it's a beautiful word from him to his disciples. And I have no reason to think that those words apply to, to, um, uh, to, uh, to only his apostles. I think they apply to all his followers. For he says this in his next verse, verse 32. He says, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth... I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. And I take it that you and I, we are all part of the everyone that starts that verse. At least those of us here who publicly follow Jesus now. If you don't follow him yet, then don't miss this important word of comfort that's offered to you. When the creator of the universe offers to give you comfort if you come to him, then surely that's worth pursuing. If you follow the path of the apostles in standing up for Jesus, then expect that you'll get a hard time for it. And you may even face death. But it will be worth it. Trials and tribulations. They were expected in Jesus' time. And here's how he described that time, verse 34. He said, don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. It's not exactly the words of a pacifist. Jesus knew that when he came as the Son of God, the Messiah, the Lord himself, it would come in the midst of a great unrest amongst his own people. And to show this, he quotes from the Old Testament book of Micah, from we see this here in our verse 35. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. If you were to turn over to Micah 7, you'd see that he's talking about the coming of the Lord to save his people. And Jesus knows that he himself is that fulfilment. But now he talks a bit more about what that division looks like. Verse 37. He says that if you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. It's a hard word from Jesus, isn't it? It's probably a good verse to preach on when it's Mother's Day or Father's Day. What do you think? <laughs> well, yes. I mean, it's fairly controversial. But it shows that we really must put Jesus first. The twelve apostles did. And given that Jesus was speaking about the everyone who acknowledges me a bit earlier, I think it's applying to all of us who follow Jesus. See, Mandy knows that I love Jesus more than I love her. 
And I know that Mandy loves Jesus more than she loves me as well. And that's the most beautiful thing. And that's what living the best life looks like. It's what devotion to Jesus is really like. Or to put it another way, it's what taking up your cross looks like. Verse 38 and 39. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Take up your cross. That escalated quickly. If he was saying it today, Jesus would have said, take your seat on the electric chair or raise up your arm to take a lethal injection. Jesus is saying that they need to get ready to be executed for following Jesus. Which I presume means that Jesus wants his followers to be religious extremists. I'm afraid I can't really see any other way to put it. Jesus doesn't want his followers to wear a suicide bomb, of course, because that would cause harm to others for the sake of proclaiming Christ, and that's not the way he works. But he does want us to be ready to die for following Jesus, which is a big call, isn't it? But it shows that following Jesus isn't just a lifestyle upgrade. It's not a useful philosophy for self-improvement. It's a radical, extreme devotion to a man who was killed as a political and religious criminal for being an extremist. And that's why it matters so much that people receive the message of the apostles about Jesus. That is why we need to keep continuing the ministry of the apostle by preaching Christ today. Because when people receive our message, the message of the apostle about Jesus then those people receive Jesus himself. Verse 40. Anyone who receives you receives me. And anyone who receives me receives the Father who sent me. If you receive a prophet as one who speaks for God, you will be given the same reward as a prophet. And if you receive righteous people because of their righteousness, you'll be given a reward like theirs. And if you give even a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. See, if you've received the message of Jesus, which was spoken and written by his apostles, then you've received the message of Jesus himself. That's how Jesus works in the world. Through people who speak his word, through workers for his harvest. That's why all of us need to partner with the apostles in bringing their message, the message of Jesus, to all people. It's life and death. It's about eternity. Because everything matters. Because the Lord has come. And now we too are united with the lost sheep of Israel as we too have come to the Messiah. And now to close, I want to read the last few verses of Micah chapter 7. These verses come just after the bit that Jesus quoted about dividing families. And it showed what Jesus knew that he came to do. And it is beautiful. Let's have a listen from Micah chapter 7 verse 14. O Lord, protect your people with your shepherd's staff. Lead your flock, your special possession. Though they live alone in a thicket on the heights of Mount Carmel, let them graze in the fertile pastures of Bashan and Gilead 
as they did long ago. Yes, says the Lord, I will do mighty miracles for you, like those I did when I rescued you from slavery in Egypt. All the nations of the world will stand amazed at what the Lord will do for you. They'll be embarrassed at their feeble power. They'll cover their mouths in silent awe, deaf to everything around them. Like snakes crawling from their holes, they'll come out to meet the Lord our God. They will fear him greatly, trembling in terror at his presence. Where is another God like you, who pardons the guilt of the remnant, overlooking the sins of his special people? You will not stay angry with your people forever, because you delight in showing unfailing love. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. You will show us your faithfulness and unfailing love as you promised to our ancestors, Abraham and Jacob, long ago. Let me pray.